0: If you are familiar with the details of the story of the birth of Jesus, then some of the things you just saw there probably surprised you a little bit, right? The cat making them a bed, the wise men bringing a gift of milk, which when you think about it makes total sense. What gift are you going to give a baby? Milk. It just makes sense. These kids are thinking smart. But there were a lot of surprising elements to that nativity story. And you know what? I think that's totally okay. I think it's totally fine that there were some twists and some surprises in that telling of the nativity story because the story of the birth of Jesus has always been a surprising one. It's always been a story that's full of twists and turns and Hashtag plot twists. Like it has always shocked the people who read it. From the very beginning, everybody who read the story laughed and they gasped and they wondered, how can this story be? I mean, who doesn't love a good plot twist in their stories anyway, right? It's a good thing that the Christmas story is full of them because everybody loves plot twists. Do you remember how wide your eyes went the first time you heard Vader say, Luke, I am your father? Everybody was like, no, right? Plot twist, they gotcha. Do you remember how shocked you were when you realized that Bruce Willis in the sixth sense was dead all along? You're like, oh, how did I not catch that? The first time you ever, watched um, Alfred Hitchcock's movies? Were you not just totally blown away with how crazy Norman Bates really was? It was a total twist that nobody saw coming. We love plot twists in our stories, and it's a good thing because the Christmas story is full of them. Now, here is the problem with plot twists. The problem with plot twists is that once you know them, they lose all their power, don't they? The first time you see it, your mind is blown. You cannot believe it. You're jumping on Facebook and you're like, spoiler alert, guess what happened? But the second time and the third time and the fourth time and the fifth time that you see these stories or, or you read these stories or see these movies, it just loses some of its effect on you, right? And, and I think that a lot of times we treat the Christmas story that way. Like, we're so familiar with the twists and turns. We're so familiar with the surprises that are inherent in the Christmas story that it loses some of that effect on us. It doesn't help that we're forced to hear this story every single December of our lives. You know, whether you want to or not, whether you're religious or not, you're gonna be exposed to some parts of the birth story of Jesus at some point during December. I mean, can you imagine being forced to watch the same movie every single year at the same month? Like, what if everybody in society just watched the Planet of the Apes movie every September? It was just what everybody did and you were forced to do it whether you wanted to or not. Like, by the third or fourth showing, for sure, you would say, look, they crash-landed on future Earth. I get it, the plot twist isn't that great anymore. Because once you know the surprises, they lose some of their power and some of their impact on us. Because we're so familiar with the Christmas story, even if we couldn't give you all the details like the kids did in this story, because most of us are so familiar with it, we can recite some of the general things. Mary, Joseph, donkey, baby being born, other animals around, wise men show up. We can give the basics. And so the story, every time we hear it, every time December rolls around, it becomes, I don't know, kind of like background noise, doesn't it? It's something that you're so familiar with that it just fades. When somebody starts reading Luke chapter number two, your mind starts to wander because you've heard it all before and none of it is particularly surprising to you. Now this December, we want you to recapture Christmas. We want you to recapture the surprise of the story of the birth of Jesus. We want you to recapture the excitement that was in your heart and mind the very first time you ever heard this story. We want you to recapture the opportunity that Christmas gives us in our world today. Have you ever considered the fact that the vast majority of people around us, whether they are Christians or not, celebrate a Christian holiday? Isn't that interesting? As, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we have this amazing opportunity at this time of the year to point people to the true meaning behind the holiday that they're celebrating. We want you to experience all the magic and none of the stress that you typically have during the Christmas season. We wanna help you recapture Christmas this year. Wouldn't it be great if that could happen? If this wasn't the most stressful time of your year, if you weren't freaking out because of all the presents you had to buy and you didn't feel all the weight of meeting expectations and making your mother-in-law happy and making sure the kids get the presents that they want. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to deal with that and instead you approach the Christmas season as if it were the greatest four weeks of the entire calendar year? Some of you guys get grumpy when Christmas rolls around, you know? They start playing holiday songs, everybody starts decorating, and you go bah humbug. Nobody says that, but that's essentially what you're doing. We want this season to be your favorite time of the year, and we believe that it can. We believe that you can look forward to the next three or four weeks with every ounce of anticipation and excitement in your heart. We believe that's possible. And it starts by recovering some of the surprise that you should feel when you hear the story of the birth of Jesus. We're gonna read in Luke chapter number two this morning. It's uh, the same sort of passage that these kids just told you, right? We're gonna read through the actual story. I want you to compare what you see in the scripture to what the kids said, all right? I want you to find some of the ways that they embellished or missed a detail here and there. I also want you to read it with a very open mind. I don't want you to approach this as a movie or a story that you've read dozens of times and all the plot twists are already in the back of your mind. You know exactly where this is gonna go. I want you to read this with fresh eyes. Like it was the very first time that you had ever come across this story. I want you to just soak in some of the details, some of the smaller little pieces of information that the scripture gives you. Let those sit in your mind as you read through this. And I promise you, it'll help you recover some of the surprise and the wonder that you should feel as we read through this particular story. So Luke chapter number two. I'm gonna be reading out of the New Living Translation. The scripture says, at that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Verse two tells us this was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. By the way, Quirinius is a name that needs to come back, okay? So if any of you parents out there are thinking about what you're gonna name your next kid, I vote Quirinius. Anyway, Quirinius was governor of Syria And the Bible says all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was the descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiance, who was now obviously pregnant. Sometimes the Bible phrases things in ways that I'm like, maybe you should have, I don't know, written that a little bit differently. If you encounter a pregnant lady, don't say you're obviously pregnant. That's a bad idea. Mary, his fiance, who was now obviously pregnant. The scripture says in verse six, and while they were there, that is while they were in Bethlehem, they had gone down to register for this census. While they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. So she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, not a manager, laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Verse eight says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And the scripture says, they were terrified. I can identify with that, right? If I'm out in a field at night, I'm enjoying a starry sky in the mountains and all of a sudden an army of angels show up, I'm gonna be terrified. They were, but the angel reassured them. Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and the angel, uh, and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' story were astonished; their mind was blown. But Mary kept all of these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds then went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel told him. Now, I told you in that passage, there are tons of surprises and plot twists. If I were to sit down with you and say, hey, tell me what you think is surprising about this particular passage, everybody would give me the same answer. Because there's only one thing that we read from the 21st century as smart, enlightened people. There is only one thing we read in this passage that's like, whoa, that's a little weird. I wasn't expecting that. And that's when the angels show up, right? That is not what we expect to see happen. And so when we think about the surprises that are present In this story, we want to say, hey, it's all the angels that showed up. That would freak me out. That would surprise me a great deal. But in reality, there are a lot more surprises in this story if you dig in just a little bit. In fact, all of these little surprises, all of these little twists and turns and plot twists, all of them lead up to one big giant surprise that genuinely has the power to transform your December. Take, for instance, the shepherds. The people that received the announcement of the birth of Jesus were shepherds. To us, that doesn't seem very surprising because we think shepherds make sense, right? They lived in ancient times. They had flocks and fields. They needed shepherds in order to take care of everything. But in the first century, being a shepherd was not a well-regarded job. Nobody liked shepherds. Nobody said, I hope my kid grows up to be a shepherd one day. That would make me so proud. Nobody said that. In fact, everybody said, I hope they don't grow up to be a shepherd. Be anything, but don't be a shepherd. And think about it. If you were a shepherd, you had to spend all of your time out in the hills, away from people. You were around animals only. Have you ever spent any time around people that only have animals in their house? Sometimes they're a little weird, all right? And that's what shepherds did for a living. They just hung out with sheep. They weren't even cats or smart animals. They were sheep. And because they were out in the fields, they didn't have the opportunity or the inclination, quite frankly, to deal with personal hygiene. So when they did come into the city, everybody was like, whoa, here come the shepherds. Goodness gracious. Have you ever been around a 13-year-old boy? That's basically what the shepherds smelled like all the time, just with less body spray on, okay? They were tough to be around, and nobody regarded the shepherds at all. Nobody said, oh, of course, if the Messiah were going to come, it would make total sense that he would, the announcement would be given to shepherds. Nobody thought that way at all. People in the first century would have said, come on, that's ridiculous. God would not announce himself to a bunch of antisocial, stinky shepherds. It just wouldn't happen. I mean, the only thing that could be more surprising, if I were to put it maybe in 21st century terms, is if the angels had shown up and they had made the announcement about the birth of Jesus to drug dealers. Like that's kind of the, the the shock, the woe factor that people in the first century would have experienced when they heard that shepherds heard it first. And lo, the angel of the Lord did appear unto them in a meth lab and say, I bring you great tidings of good joy. No, I mean like that, that's crazy, right? Of course. God would not do that. It's ridiculous. It's silly. It's probably a little sacrilegious for the pastor to say. And yet I'm telling you, the first people who heard this story felt that exact same way when they learned that shepherds were the ones who were entrusted with the message. It blew their minds. It was a plot twist that they never saw coming. Now, here's the thing. If this is a made-up story, If Christians created this story, which is what a lot of people will tell you, if they made this story up so that they could gain power in their civilization and then eventually everybody bought into the myth and it's just carried on throughout centuries, I think they messed up a little bit if they were making up this story in the first century, they would not have said shepherds were the ones who were entrusted with the message. They would have chosen wealthy people to receive the message, or powerful people, or even religious people, because those folks would have added credibility to the stories that the Christians were telling. So if they made this up out of whole cloth, it doesn't really make sense the way it plays out. But If this is really a story of glad tidings and great joy for all people, then it makes perfect sense that God would choose the least highly regarded people in the world in order to give the message to. Man, there is some surprise in this story. Surprise that we overlook all the time because we think, oh, I know it. Shepherds in a field, they go see the baby Jesus, everybody's happy. But those surprises, they go deeper than that. You know that none of this happened in a vacuum, right? The birth of Jesus, it wasn't just like, oh, a baby showed up and everybody's like, what is this? We had no idea. In fact, God had promised 2,000 years before Jesus was born. So 4,000 years ago from where we live today, he had promised that long ago that he was going to send his son, his Messiah. That word Messiah, it means anointed one or chosen one. And so God had promised that he was going to send his anointed one for thousands of years. And throughout those thousands of years, he had begun to drop hints to everybody in the world. He had begun to give clues as to when and where and how and why the Messiah was gonna show up. And so over time, people began to collect those clues and they were like, oh man, maybe the Messiah is gonna be this or maybe the Messiah is gonna be that. And so there were all of these ideas and thoughts that had developed about who the anointed one was going to be. There were some people that said, when the Messiah comes, he's gonna be a religious leader. I mean, he's gotta be, right? He's from God, and so he's gonna be a priest or something. That's gotta be who the Messiah is. And so this group expected that when the Messiah showed up, he'd be a full-grown man, he would be the high priest of the Jewish temple, and because the Jewish temple was in the city of Jerusalem, everybody expected him to show up one day at the temple in Jerusalem. There were other people who said, no, 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 he's not gonna be a religious reformer. He's gonna be like a politician or he's gonna maybe be a military general. He's gonna show up with power and might and authority and he is going to lead us to freedom, Braveheart style, because the Jewish people were under Roman occupation. And so they assumed that when the Messiah came, he was going to free them. And the only way they knew that that could happen is if he led them to war. Because the capital city of Israel was also Jerusalem, this group thought when the Messiah shows up, he's gonna show up as a full-grown man, he's gonna have sweet muscles, everybody's gonna respect him, and he's gonna show up in Jerusalem because that's the capital city. That's where you would start the revolution. There were other people at the time who had different conceptions, but all the expectations were the same. The Messiah was gonna show up as a powerful man And the first place anybody saw him was gonna be Jerusalem. It made sense in every story they told about God's coming son. And yet, in a plot twist that none of them saw coming, Jesus didn't show up in Jerusalem. He showed up in Bethlehem, like a sleepy little town eight kilometers away from Jerusalem. Nobody was expecting him to come there. It was a tiny little podunk town. You know, nobody thought he was gonna go there. I was trying to think of a good analogy this week. I couldn't really come up with a good one, but imagine like Bruno Mars came to our area, right? And he was like, I'm gonna play a concert. And he did it in Cochrane, but not Calgary. Everybody'd be like, hey, hey, Bruno, man, that doesn't make sense. That's a tiny little town. You need to come to Calgary where the action is. Now, to be clear, I'm not comparing Bruno Mars to Jesus. That was weird, but I'm telling you, it just didn't make sense to them. Why in the world... Would the Messiah show up in Bethlehem instead of Jerusalem? It was a plot twist. It was a surprise that none of them were prepared for. There are a bunch of other little surprises in here. We don't have time to go over all of them because I want to spend our time on the big one. The plot twist that changed everything, that blew everybody's mind, that literally changed the course of history. I'm telling you, your life is the way it is today because of this one plot twist in Luke chapter number two. Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised Son of God, He didn't come as a priest. He didn't come as a powerful politician. He didn't come as a military ruler. In the biggest plot twist of all, he came as a baby. The son of God, the one who has promised to change the world, showed up in diapers. You know how you go to the movies and, and you see a great show with an awesome plot twist. And after you get out, your friends afterwards are like, I totally saw that coming. I figured that out way back in the first act. You remember that? And they annoy you. You know, you don't really think they're telling you the truth, but you just give them credit. You don't argue with them. You know, those sorts of people, right? Nobody in the first century saw the Messiah come as a baby and said, duh, how did you guys not see that? Everybody was left speechless by this because it wasn't just surprising. It was ridiculous, it was silly, it was dumb. In a lot of people's eyes, it was actually sacrilegious to think that the Messiah was going to come as just a baby. Hey, again, if this is a made-up story, if this is something that was invented by Christians, I gotta tell you, I think they chose some wrong details here. They probably should have chosen a full-grown man instead of a helpless little baby. You see, the early church was actually ridiculed for the fact that their leader came as a child, lived as a carpenter, and died as a criminal. That's a ridiculous story. Nobody would wanna follow somebody who lived that kind of life. And yet, the story of that man, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection has changed history. The people who were right there in the first century, the ones who were most familiar with the Christmas story, they started hearing the details. He's a baby born to an unwed teenage mother who didn't have enough money to get a hotel room. So he was born in a stable out back. He wasn't wrapped in robes and he didn't come with a sword and a crown. Instead, he came wrapped in rags, in cloths, and he was lying in a manger, which is just a fancy word for an animal's feeding trough. When they heard that story, they said, no, 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 no. That can't be. That's not not the Messiah we've been waiting on for 2,000 years. It was a surprise. It was a plot twist that they couldn't even wrap their minds around. From start to finish, the story of Jesus is full of surprises and twists and turns and the unexpected plot twists. Every ounce of it. The story of Jesus reminds us that God invades our world when and how we least expect it. The story of the birth of Jesus, it reminds us, it forces us to come to terms with the fact that God invades our world on his terms and not on ours. We don't have the story figured out. God does things that are mind-blowing and unexpected. It's been his way throughout history. It'll be his way into the future. We like to tell ourselves that we're in control. That if we just work hard, if we plan diligently enough, if we think far enough ahead, then we can control how everything turns out. We can figure it all out. That's what these people in the early, uh, in the uh, times of Christ, this is what they did. They said, we've got it figured out. We know who the Messiah is going to be. We know how he's going to get here. And yet we find out that they were completely wrong because they were not prepared for the plot twist that God had for them. The story of Jesus reminds us that God invades our world in ways that we least expect it. This tendency to think that we're in control, this tendency to think that we've got it all figured out, it is especially strong during the Christmas season. It really is. For some of you, Your goal this Christmas season, 2016, your goal this year is not to experience God or to discover surprise and wonder and magic at the Christmas season. Your goal is for everything to go according to plan. If everything goes according to plan in your life this year, then you will be happy. You want everybody to show up on Christmas Eve and to behave themselves. And if they did that, then you would be pretty okay with how it all turned out. You want to stay in control, especially during the Christmas season. Hey, can I tell you, there's likely a plot twist coming in your life. Things rarely ever work out the way that we say they're going to work out. Life, like the story of Jesus, is full of surprises and twists and turns and unexpected happenings. It is full of those Every single day. You're likely to have your plans go awry at some point this Christmas, you know? Your sister-in-law's not gonna show up. You want her to, you expect her to, she's not gonna make it. Uncle Craig is gonna get drunk again and make everybody uncomfortable. Your Christmas bonus may turn out to be way less than you were anticipating. I don't know what sort of plot twist is coming your way, but I can tell you, because we think we're in control and we never really are, that there are some surprises that are headed your way in the next few weeks. But I want you to know that when your Christmas doesn't go according to plan, you're in good company. Because the first Christmas didn't turn out the way anybody expected it to either. You've heard it said that God works in mysterious ways. That's true, but it doesn't go far enough. In fact, God works in mysterious ways confusing, ridiculous, seemingly silly ways every single day in our lives. Now, in the middle of the plot twist, in the middle of the surprise that's probably coming your way in the next few weeks during this Christmas season, you are faced with the same choice that the people in the early part of the church in the first century were faced with the story of Jesus. Do we fight against it or do we embrace it? Do we say, no, 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 this is not how it was supposed to work out. This is not how things were supposed to go. I'm unhappy. I'm going to fight you tooth and nail over this, God, because this is not how it was supposed to happen. There were people who did that when Jesus was born. They said, we can't accept this. This isn't what we've been waiting on. No, 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 no. You must have gotten it wrong. They must have gotten it wrong. We're going to hold out, God, until you get it right until you get on our plan, on our timetable, until you do things the way that we say they should be done. We're faced with that same choice and we can respond in that same way. We can fight and complain and get grumpy and hate the Christmas season because nothing ever goes right and it's supposed to be so happy and everybody smiles and sings and yet we feel alone or we feel stressed or we feel unequal to the tasks ahead of us. We can fight against that or we can embrace it. We can say, God, I've been acting like I'm in control. I've been acting like I've got it all figured out, I've got it all sorted, and if I just work hard enough, if I just plan hard enough, then I'll be able to stay in control over the next few weeks. That's an illusion. The best thing you can do is to admit and confess that and to ask God to take over control of every single aspect of your life and your Christmas season. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Romans chapter number eight. It's a beautiful passage. It's poetic. It's anthemic. It's like an awesome, awesome section of verses. And in Romans chapter number eight, verse 28, the Scripture gives us a word, gives us a verse that I think, man, if we could grab onto this and believe it, then we wouldn't be so stressed during the Christmas season or the summer season or the winter season, marriage season, whatever it is. The Bible says in Romans chapter number eight, verse 28, we know that in all things. God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. Hey, you can fight against the plot twist. You can try to hold on. You can try to control. You can try to stay on top of everything. You can do that. Or you can say, there is a God who is telling a story through everything that happens. And maybe the story is turning out a little bit differently than I thought it was going to, but I'm going to have faith That the story that's being written is better than any story that I could tell on my own. Hey, your life can never be out of control if there is a God who's always in control. You're going to have some surprises. You're going to have some plot twists. And you can say, ah, everything's going crazy. Or you can say, God is at work in all of these surprising circumstances. So I'm going to trust him through all of it. God was at work in every mundane detail of the Christmas story. He was at work in every little part of the birth of Jesus. The stuff that we overlook, the stuff that we don't understand, the stuff that we think is silly and hard to believe, God was actually using those things to tell a story. And in every area of your life, this Christmas season and beyond, God is using your circumstances, the stuff that you're prepared for, the stuff that you are not expecting at all. He's using it to write a story in your life. So can I ask you to embrace the surprise this Christmas season, to embrace the surprise of the Christmas story, but also to embrace the surprise of the Christmas season, to let yourself experience that wonder, And the fact that we are not in control half as much as we like to pretend that we are.